0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go play at ladbrooks.com 18plus be org. T's and C's apply.
1: Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me Sam Matterface and with me once again the former Chelsea left fullback Scott Minto and we're delighted to have the international football expert Kevin Hatchard here as well after what was a fantastic weekend in the Premier League so let's start with a top of the table clash on Sunday and boy was it dramatic <laughs> Premier League,
0: box office. Just so as are speaking, Man United on the break, yes! It's Rasmus Hoyland with a finish and it's an absolutely outstanding finish. Whoever's goal it is, it doesn't really matter, it's Bournemouth 1, Forest 0. Chelsea 1, Wolves 2. It's Chelsea 1, Wolves 3. It's Chelsea 1, Wolves 4. Arsenal
1: 1, Liverpool
0: 0. Bukayo Saka with the goal. Garnacho at the double and it's Manchester United 3, West Ham United 0 and it's Calvin Phillips Gets caught on the ball by Scott McTominay. Philip Billing has been sent off. I think he's unlucky. I think a few stayed here just to boo and jeer this performance. It is Arsenal 1, Liverpool 1. And This is a great time to score for Liverpool. Oh, it's a great time because they haven't been very good. It is Arsenal 2, Liverpool 1. Alisson has to take control of the situation. Oh, he's dear. ran past the ball, Sam. And Liverpool are down
2: to ten men. It's been a really significant day at the top of the Premier League. And Arsenal
1: beaten Liverpool by three goals to one. Well, Arsenal delivered a serious blow to Liverpool's title hopes after beating them by three goals to one. Scott and I were at the game. I know, Kev, you were watching it keenly, probably from behind your sofa, watching (laughs) Allison commit blunder after blunder after blunder. What on earth was going on at the back?
2: Yeah, it was a horrible moment for Alisson and Virgil van Dijk. And I think van Dijk was very honest afterwards and admitted that it was chiefly his fault. And I think it was. I think you look at it, you know, he's not strong enough in holding off Martinelli. He should clear the ball. And because he doesn't clear the ball, that means that Alisson comes racing out and he can't actually get around van Dijk to clear it. But I think if you look at the game in general... Liverpool made such a poor start. You you look at the first quarter of the game, I thought Arsenal could have been 3-0 up if they'd been more ruthless, actually. They made uh, plenty of openings and it was reminiscent of the way they started the FA Cup game. Actually, Arsenal had plenty of chances in the first half and that one didn't take them. And I just think Liverpool took a bit too long to get going. It took far too long to get Trent Alexander-Arnold on the ball. Having said that, having been gifted a goal on the stroke of half-time, (laughs) <laughs> then in the second half, I actually thought Liverpool started playing really well. I thought the early part of the second half, I thought they were excellent. And I thought, wow, this has really changed. And this is where Liverpool might push on and win it. And then a horrible moment. But I have to give enormous credit to Martinelli because I think that mistake from Van Dijk only comes because Martinelli has caused them so many problems previously that it panicked them into making that error.
1: You think it's a revision problem. The fact is they have gone back and looked at what it was like against them before and as as a result of it, they started to panic. Uh, But they panicked right from the very off and actually Van Dijk was poor from the very start of the game. There was one point where he sort of pushed a pass into midfield, which was never on, playing across the face of his own goal and he caused them all sorts of issues. He was lucky to get away with it on that occasion. There was a little tangle with Saka earlier on where Saka could have gone down and that could have resulted in in a penalty. But at halftime, I turned to Scott. Right? We were sitting in the bottom of the uh, of the main stand at the Emirates Stadium. And I turned to Scott all, you know, with a little whiff of hot dogs in the background, those big foot-long sausages that they have at the Emirates. And I said to him, mate, there is no way in this world that Liverpool are going to be as bad in the second half as they were in the first. And they came out all guns blazing and then they made two massive errors. And basically, that's that that that's cost them three points in the game, or at least a point in the game. And this was a game they shouldn't have lost.
0: No, actually, Sam, the first thing you you said was, I want that foot long sausage. That that that's what you said, <laughs> the hot um, and then you said Liverpool won't be as bad in the second half. And and absolutely, they you know, Kev's right. They they were really good. And we all said, you know, we were with Nigel Adley at the time as well, that if anyone is gonna go on and win this game, we believe it will be Liverpool. So to make that mistake, and it was a double mistake because Van Dijk's got to be heading that away. But once that's bounced and and Allison's coming out, he has got to deal with that situation, and he hasn't. So you rightly said on commentary, you know, that both of them had really poor games, and that's exactly what happened. You look, you know, when things are really tight, it depends on moments uh, whether it's a, a bit of skill, a bit of class, or actually a, a big mistake. And I do agree with Kevin. and it was not not just about how Martinelli's played. Against Liverpool before, I, I thought he was very good on the day. I was actually really surprised that he got taken off, and he wasn't happy about it. But his pace mm. absolutely scares uh, opposition, and he certainly scared the Liverpool defence today.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, do you remember that program they used to do on MTV, Celebrity Death Match. Um, it was probably about thirty years old <laughs> now. Where they used to just put celebrities, like plastic celebrities, in sort of like, uh, p- like plaster, plaster scene versions of them fighting on the television. Um, I would like to do like a, a rapid race match where you pick your fantasy uh, races between fast footballers in the Premier League. I want to see Martinelli against uh, Mickey Van Der Ven, and I want to see Carl Walker take on the winner uh, because the I mean, Amy's so fast Martinelli, isn't he? I mean, he's so rapid that he sends shivers down the spine of any fallback, Kev.
2: Yeah, I think he's a terrific player. There was that one moment, wasn't there, where he raced down the left and Konate, who is quick, was really struggling to keep up with him. I think he's a terrific player. I think he's getting better all the time. I know some people think he'd be better through the middle. I actually think he's great out wide because he just opens up those spaces for others because he drags people out of position. That's the thing. And I just think he is such a terrific young player with so much potential. And when you've got Saka on the other side, It it causes so many problems for teams. But I think, again, what it showed was, I know Gabriel Jesus was missing, but they don't have that player who has that real instinct in the middle. They Mm. play so many quality balls into the centre sometimes. And I think a a top-class striker who has those instincts would make the most of those. So I still think they're missing a bit in that area. But yeah, I thought Martinelli caused them all kinds of problems. And he was always in the back of Liverpool's mind.
1: And that is a problem, isn't it? That focal point, that centre-forward. We beboned it during the course of the game. Scott and I were talking about exactly that. You know, they've got to have someone present inside the box because all of this great play down the left and the right actually isn't coming to anything. And Liverpool could have taken advantage on a different day. They probably would have taken advantage. But the scoreline is the scoreline. And Liverpool have lost ground in the title race. They've given away points to Arsenal, who are a title rival. But really, Scott, are the main beneficiaries of today's result Manchester City? I mean, should we just get the trophy out now, tie the blue and white ribbons on it and just pass it over and forget the rest of the season or go on holiday to Dubai or something?
0: Well, we can go on holiday to Dubai if you want, Sam. I'm happy to do that with you. But I'm, I'm, I'm not having just... <laughs> as as <laughs> <laughs> That's a shock. I'm not... I'm not having that Man City are going to have definitely won it now. Look, you you know what I said at the start of the season. Uh, I still fancy City to do it, but this was the season really after what five of the last six seasons they've won the the, the Premier League having won the treble as well. They're not going to be quite at it, but they will be in the second half of the season and a team needs to be 5 to 8 points ahead. So, look, we went into this game saying and and, and the big picture here is for Arsenal actually, not for Liverpool as much as Liverpool have lost ground and City have probably chosen, you know, if they want someone to win, it would be Arsenal. But actually, this was a must-win game for Arsenal. You know, if they were to lose this one, then eight points, I'm sorry, they're not catching Liverpool up and they're not bettering what Manchester City can do from here and in, having played two games more as well. So whether it was by hook or by crook, whether it was mistake, whatever it was, brilliance, Arsenal had to find a way to win this game. And they did. And look, yeah, City absolutely would be the beneficiaries of that still a long way to go and, and they've got the Champions League, they've got the FA Cup. People have talked about Liverpool with the quadruple potentially. There's still the double treble potentially for Manchester City, but there's still so many games to play from here on in. And that would have given Arsenal a massive psychological boost.
1: Uh, Right, let's move on from that game and talk about another big headline-making match on Sunday afternoon. Chelsea 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 4. Chelsea defeated at home by Wolves. hat Hattrick, Neto excellent. Gary O'Neill doing a quite brilliant job. I will happily let anyone rant about Chelsea, but... Wolverhampton Wanderers have beaten Spurs, Man City, Chelsea twice, drawn with Newcastle and Aston Villa and should have got something from their games against Liverpool and Manchester United. Is Gary O'Neill, Scott, getting enough praise?
0: No, I don't think he is. You know, we we, um, talked about how, you know, he was absolutely fantastic at Bournemouth and can count himself very unlucky indeed as to... As to him getting sacked, we understood the reasons why. We know about the philosophy that Iriola has and we can see what he's implementing now. But the job he did last season was incredible. When you think about where everybody was, most Wolves fans weren't enamoured by the appointment, were they at the start of the season? And look where they are now. They're they're top half of the table. They're six points off sixth. Now, no one's suggesting necessarily that they're going to go on and finish in that top six place. But the fact that we're talking about them You know, looking up rather than down, I think shows it's an absolutely sensational job that Gary O'Neill's done. They've got, got some really good players, but Lopategi was saying this squad isn't good enough and I want to walk away. Well, look what Gary O'Neill's doing with this squad.
1: Yeah, he's done a fantastic job. It is a light squad and he sort of pointed that out today after the game. But ultimately, they've done brilliantly to get into the top half of the table right now as we speak, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Okay, time for the Chelsea debrief. I want you each to give me just three words that sum up Chelsea right now. I'm going to get you started. Inconsistent, impotent and divided.
2: Disjointed. Disjointed toxic and at the top level arrogant
0: Ooh, um confused I, i'd agree absolutely agree with disjointed can i put a double one in it, it's it's look, there's, there's no leadership
1: okay all right lead leadership list maybe leader-less. that would do leaderless oh, leader-less. Leader-less. leaderless rudderless Maybe rudderless is the best word. Rudderless, let's Um, go with that one. It's a collaborative effort. This is a collaborative effort. Uh, Kev, um, I spoke to you briefly prior to the start of the podcast and you said, I am going to tear strips off Chelsea. Go for it.
2: (laughs) Well, no, look, at a certain level of the club, because I think ultimately the people who have to carry the can are the owners, because I think now they've had long enough, they've spent enough. And you have to look at the overall strategy and you have to conclude that they came into football thinking they had the magic formula, thinking if we bring in all of these young talents together, if we put them on long contracts, if we do this, we have gained to the system, we're really smart and we're going to do it this way. And what you've ended up doing is you've ended up creating a toxic environment. You have collected some of the best young players in Europe and you are crushing them flat because what you've tried to do is pivot from a club that went had a boom and bust cycle for over 20 years. And you've said to that fan base, if you wouldn't mind, we're just going to develop this young group of players and it's going to take a while. And as soon as there was a bit of toxicity with Graham Potter, and I'm not saying he was necessarily the right man for the job. And I expressed reservations about that when he got the job, Mm. but having hired him at the first sign of a few boos and toxicity, they panicked and they got rid of him. The Frank Lampard's spell was joke and a waste of everybody's time. And that's nothing against Frank necessarily, but it was a waste of everybody's time. It set them back. And now you have players who have succeeded at other clubs, who've shown immense promise at other clubs, and they've come into a club that is just surrounded by negativity. And I'm not even taking aim at the fans because I get it. I understand how jarring it must be to have supported the club that's battled for honours for so long, and suddenly they're also Rans. But have they done their bit? Because some of the discourse around Chelsea has become so very toxic.
1: Yeah, I I mean, look, Pat Nevin was brilliant in the Sun newspaper on Sunday, in which he he basically said, the squad looks like it's been picked by an algorithm, and if you think that's going to work immediately, you've got another thing coming. And the second thing he said was, look, I've been a chief executive, I've run... Motherwell Football Club. I've also got a background in economics and in finance. And I can tell you now that it was all a very clever idea with this sort of amortisation over the course of seven or eight years in terms of player contracts. But that only works if you keep the same level of income coming into your football club. And if you end up producing a squad that can't compete at the top end of the table and therefore slips out of the Champions League, then you lose over £100 million a year from the prize money that you would have got from being in that competition. And you might be able to swallow that once, but you can't swallow that twice, three times in a row because all of a sudden then, the amount of money that's coming into the club isn't at the same level. You're still spending the same amount of money on those players' contracts, and yet you are going to end up creeping over your £105 million losses over three years if you continue to be outside the Champions League. Therefore, you'll then get hit with points deductions. Therefore, you'll then fall further down the table then the Champions League thing becomes even more difficult to get back into and, and 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 the whole business operation falls apart. The other issue you've got is the transfer market's gone completely flat over the last 12 months. As a result of that, the whole business model and the idea behind Chelsea has completely been thrown out of the window. So They've got massive, massive trouble there. Um, the other problem you've got is that people are starting to kick off in the dressing room. Cheers, Thiago Silva. Um, is he gunning for Poch's job? His wife, Bella Silva, decided to tweet after Chelsea had gone uh, within two goals of Wolverhampton Wanderers, 4-2 at the time. Her husband scored the goal. It's time to change. If you wait any longer, it will be too late. Two blue hearts. Mm, Not sure it's very blue hearty uh, to send that out. Um, She doesn't do that, Scott, and certainly doesn't keep it there. I would have thought it would have been deleted by now. It isn't. Without his approval... Or at least his sort of tacit sort of acceptance that she's allowed to do that. Um, look, I mean, he's not there to control her. But what I mean by that is he shouldn't. She should be a little bit more tactful if he's not supporting her through that. Does Does he want
0: to be the manager? Well, that I don't know, Sam. But the bottom line is, if Thiago Silva, and everyone's entitled to tweet what they want to tweet within reason, of course. But Pochettino needs to have a, a meeting with Thiago Silva. ASAP, because if they're his thoughts as well, he has a massive problem and he's got to look after himself first and foremost, because Tiago Silva, and we've talked about, I agree absolutely everything that both of you have said, and I've said it on this pod many, many times about the the way that the new owners have gone, but what do we do from here? And it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Certainly there's no sign, there's no green shoots to say, okay, that's half a dozen results that's going positive. I can see a pattern of play and everyone looks very well organised, whoever comes in. If Tiago Silva's wife's saying that and Tiago Silva believes that, then there's a real problem. And Kev used the word toxic um, around the club. Well, it's toxic in the dressing room if you're one of your major leaders has that thought pattern and opinion. Does he want to be a manager while well, he's doing his coaching badges, but does he really expect that he's going to be manager of Chelsea? I would doubt it, but to say something like that, which can only lead us to think that they're talking about, she's talking about Pochettino going and the sacking of that, then he needs to nip this in the bud immediately. Come, come,
1: come on, Kev. I mean, she can't be that naive. He's worked at Milan, he's worked at uh, PSG, we all know just from our own experiences of uh, of tweeting and, and putting things out on social media that you have to be very careful about how you phrase things and when you say them and at what times you say them. She will know exactly what she is doing here. How much of a problem is this?
2: I, I mean, she does have form for this. She has been quite outspoken previously. Um, so I, I don't think this is completely unusual. But what it does is it does put Thiago Silva in a a difficult position because I think he has to be squeaky clean. He has to be beyond reproach because in a really young squad, he's the leader they look to. And so if that kind of messaging is getting out there whether it's through him or whether people it's through people close to him there's got to be an element of crisis comms about this i think and i think this has got to be dealt with the the prop what this comes down to ultimately is if you change the coach fine what then because you've changed potter which i thought was a mistake you've then brought in lampard you've then brought in pochettino where do you go from here you still have the same problems an unbalanced squad that's low on confidence, a lot of young players who, let's not forget as well, take some of these guys, right? Moises Caicedo was at Brighton, really smoothly run football club, good coaching, good environment in which to develop. Now he's in this. Enzo mm. Fernandez at Benfica, club that was used to winning, club that was doing well in the Champions League, smart coach. Now he's in this. I'm not absolving players of blame. They've play poorly at times. What I'm saying is it's very, very difficult for these guys with huge potential to thrive in the environment they have created. And that's the mm. bare truth
1: of it. Let's move on to Manchester United. They beat uh, West Ham by three goals to nil. There is an image doing the rounds of three very confident young men sitting on an advertising board on the perimeter of the pitch. Rasmus Hoyland and Kobi Maynou uh, flanking the goal scorer of Manchester United's second and third goals, Alejandro Garnacho. It's an image I think you will see a lot over the next few years. And it was I mean, just one win. It's just one win. It was a comfortable win. It was a home win. But afterwards, Eric Ten Hagscott says, no one believed me when I told you there was potential in this group. Is he right to put his long-term faith in the potential of those three in particular?
0: Uh, Listen, we don't see what goes on on a day-to-day basis. He does. We've talked about, uh, as long as the cows come home, about the culture, how bad it is. Quite often, not always, but quite often the youngsters can be moulded. And if he believes those, it's interesting Marcus Rashford wasn't in there, it would have been nice in a way to say another incredibly talented youngster in there and that's the future of Manchester United. But but these three, I was really pleased, first of all, for Rasmus Hoyland. He's had a lot of stick, obviously, the big pressure of the the, the price tag. He's not been scoring goals in the first half of the season. I thought that was a really well-taken goal. Garnacho, I think, is a massive talent. He really is. And, and Kobe Mainu, I mean, the goal he scored against Wolves was almost like a senior pro. So, Absolutely. And and also senior players are, are coming back. And he's always said as well that if he gets everyone fit, then Manchester United is very competitive. And looking at the table right now, they're in sixth position and they're very much looking up to see if they can chase down Tottenham Hotspur six points above them. And if they finish in fifth place, then that could well be a Champions League place. Who would have thought that a couple of weeks ago?
1: Ah, and it helps that Rasmus Holland is scoring goals. 21 today, celebrated with a very odd-looking air guitar uh, celebration, which was sort of <laughs> a cross between an air guitar and a sort of hobby horse celebration. It couldn't yeah. really quite work it out. But it is air guitar. He's confirmed it. His mate in Denmark told him to do it. Um, I'm not sure it's going to catch on like Sue I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, (laughs) It was an all-round good display, actually, from Manchester United. It was the blending midfield that caught my eye. Casemiro and Maynou, old and young, yin and yang. They worked together well, Kev.
2: Yeah, I thought they did. I mean, part of that is Maynou, who I, I think is a sensational player. I know we shouldn't hype up young players too much. But honestly, I cannot remember a guy in that kind of position of that age playing with such composure and clarity. He, he very rarely gives the ball away. He's got a great idea of space around him. The way he took the goal um, was sensational in, at Molyneux. Absolutely sensational. So uh, I think there's huge potential with him. I wasn't as sold on the performance, if I'm honest, because if you actually look at the chances West Ham had, there were quite a few openings mm, that they could Yeah, well, Emerson had that big chance. Before the second goal goes in, Emerson is clean through and just realises he's Emerson and blazes the ball (laughs) over the bar because he's not a regular goal scorer. Um, So he he kind of made a really good run and then went, ah, what do I do now? And just blazed it over. And he had another opportunity as well after the second goal goes in. So I, I still feel with them, and I've said this before, it's all a bit improvised jazz for me. It's all a bit off the cuff. It's about individual quality. It's about what players can produce. I don't feel like it's a philosophy. It's a team thing. I think it's just kind of stuff that happens. And I still think they make odd decisions. thought Harry Maguire was all over the shop today, actually. Um, so, look, it's not perfect. I don't think they're anywhere near the teams at the top four right now. But there are players I love very much. I love Maynou. Hoyland is great. That was an Atalanta goal, by the way. That that when he was on top form for Atalanta, shift away from the defender, smash it in from the edge of the area. That's when he was on great form for them. So I think he's got a big ceiling. Garnacho will see.
1: Yeah, they're not uh, they're not perfect. And I don't think we should pretend they are. Twenty two shots West Ham had on their goal today. Anana had to make a couple of really good saves early on. Um, but you know, they're a good team, West Ham United. They're six in the table for a reason, so they were always going to get chances against Manchester United, especially bearing in mind they concede so many goals. I think they were helped out by Lissandro Martinez being back, but now he's picked up a big injury, and I just wonder how worrying that will be for Manchester United going forward. And we should talk a little bit more about David Moyes, though, because he was he was ruining those chances in his post-match interviews, That the ones that Kev's already mentioned and the, the saves that Inanna made as well. It was a rare defeat for West Ham. I mean, you know, let's have a look at the table where they are. Let's look at the run that they've been on and they've only just uh, ended up losing a game. But their fans are very quick to get disgruntled. What else can David Moyes do, Scott? Uh, Because he can't cease being David Moyes.
0: No, and I think that's the issue in in many ways. And we we touched on it in the show, didn't we? Um, This is a golden period for West Ham in terms of in recent history in terms of what they've done in the league in recent seasons. Obviously, uh, not so much last season, but the two seasons before it's sixth and seventh, a Europa League semi-final, a Europa League conference win, the first major European or any trophy in over 40 years. Um, and and they, they were, before kickoff sixth in the league. And then, and as Kev said, created 22 chances against Manchester United. So I don't know what more he can do apart from... Uh, you know, I've watched West Ham quite a lot this season and David uh, David Moyes' team can be very solid. It can be a bit dour. It's not necessarily a, a sort of exciting Harry Redknapp where you kind of got so many quality players. And you, it was almost like, like just do something, you know, in the final third. It's all very methodical, all very organised. And listen, I, I played for West Ham and I'm, I'm loath to sort of say the, the West Ham way, but they're quite happy or they'll settle for a really good entertaining game. If you win 4-3, if you lose 3-2, they go home, they finish mid-table, but you really go for a, a cup trophy as well. And I think the Carabao Cup was very disappointing. I know to, to lose at to Anfield, anybody can do it. And obviously they beat Manchester United and Arsenal straight after. But I think West Ham fans would have taken, you know, lose to, uh, to Man U, maybe even to Arsenal as well, if it have really gone for it at Anfield. Because whether you finish... 7th or whether you finish 8th or ninth, Well, yeah, OK, you can get into to Europa League conference. But West Ham want their team to be going for it, uh, the fans. And I don't think David Moyes does that. He always looks quite far ahead. But I go back to the fact that the bottom line is you look at what has happened in the last three years. He's kept them up. He's got them into Europe. He got them deep into Europe one year. And then he won the trophy the following year. It's um, It's a difficult one because every time they don't play well, the fans come out.
1: Yeah, um, just just checking around here. We are past the watershed. If you're watching and it, and it isn't past the watershed, right? Just fast forward the next minute or so, right? Kev, you're not easily offended, are you? Are you easily offended? No, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely know not. You, know, you're not. <laughs> you you're not. Okay, all right. Okay, I just want to check because I don't want to upset anybody. And, and sometimes you have to warn people. It's always good to warn people. This is a bit. This is a bit PG thirteen. This next bit that's coming into conversation. So if you're easily offended, look away now. Okay, we've given you the opportunity. Kev, have you ever been cupped?
2: <laughs> uh, no, not to my knowledge.
1: <laughs> um, the reason I'm asking is because because uh, David Moyes made a big complaint in the, in, in the, in the um, press conference after the game that there was too much cupping going on and he didn't realise that cupping was allowed in football. Wow.
0: Kev, you have been cupped. According to David Moyes, you have been cupped.
2: Okay. Okay. This is, yeah, I, I, the, the, uh, it depends on whether it's the, what definition of cupping there is. I think that's well, what
1: we're getting Well, to I, tried, really, I tried, I tried to, I tried to Google cupping whilst I was at the Emirates stadium and the Emirates stadium Not firewall idea, banned me from doing so. <laughs> <laughs> it came up with a privacy uh, screen and I wasn't allowed to go any further. I have since checked the urban dictionary, um, yeah, for see. cupping. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it is as you may think. It is when someone touches a male's <laughs> something and gently checks to see that everything is there. Now, I don't think okay. that is what he meant. I'm not. I, I'm not sure. Maybe that is what went on at the corner that he was complaining about. But I'm not sure that's what he meant. But I mean, it was a direct quote, and he kept saying it, didn't he? He kept saying. It, he, it, he then sort of defined it as grabbing someone around the, the game, chest. I- I thought
2: I'd watch that game quite carefully. Clearly, I didn't watch it carefully enough.
0: <laughs> you so, need to you, press the yeah. red button, Kev. <laughs> he did actually define uh, what he saw as cupping, didn't he? And it was, he uh, basically said, putting your arms around someone, both arms. So, yeah, um, yeah I think he meant around. But what what do you
1: mean it. by around someone? Yeah, because well, that's I'll, sort yeah. of the, the key definer, isn't
2: it? Oh, bless oh. little innocent Moisey. <laughs>
1: I can't believe that there's anything innocent about David Moyes. He's been around a very long time. Um, Anyway, enough about cupping. Uh, Let's get on to Saturday now and the game that pushed Unite Emery's men back into the top four.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right.
1: And this is the free kick to be taken by Garner into the box, aimed towards the far post. It's flicked on. it helps it, it's an own goal by Romero. Romero flicked it towards the far post and it was smuggled in. Bradley went in there. Everton celebrate. They're back on the scoreboard and they've
2: missed a point in st- It's time, Everton 2, Tottenham 2,
1: it's given back to Bernanotte, 3-0, Brighton are going gold crazy, Palace have been sliced to ribbons. And it's Facundo Buonanotte. It's a goal fest at St. James Park. Elijah Arabeo can't stop scoring at the moment and he's just got one here. Newcastle 2, Luton 4. What a day for Luton Town. Here's Jean-Pedro, finding Welbeck.
2: built back here for Pedro.
1: Magnificent goal from Brighton of Albion. Sha pedro the toast of the Sussex down. It's Brighton 4, Crystal Palace 1. It's Burnley 2, following 2. A comeback that was unfortunate. Unthinkable during this second half, but Burnley have done it,
0: and David Fafana.
1: I can't believe the game that's going on in front of me. It is Newcastle 4, Luton Town 4, and it's been picked up by Harvey Barnes.
0: Sheffield United 0, Aston Villa 5, embarrassing from Sheffield United.
1: Sheffield United nil Aston Villa 5. Look, I mean, what a, a fantastic first four, 30 minutes it was, 35 minutes. They were absolutely sensational, Aston Villa. But Scott Minto. Sheffield United
0: were rank. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I think it was is important for Villa to, to bounce back after that, that that defeat against Newcastle as well. And but to go, what was it? 3-0 uh, up after 20 minutes, 4-0 up after 29 minutes, and 5-0 up just in you know inside the, the start of the second half. I mean Sheffield United fans must have been looking at it and thinking this could be this could be double figures here. Um it, it, it's a it's a tough one because I don't know what more Chrissy Wilder can do. You know, he, he's clearly wanting and working towards a a way that he, he wants his team to play. But there's only so much he can do in terms of the defenders and the quality of defending, and and the, even organisation and how quickly Villa counterattacked. I mean, they were absolutely clinical and brutal. But if you're up against far too much space, though, Scott, far too much space. You can't give you can't give Ollie Watkins that
1: sort of space. I mean, oh. he's almost as fast as uh, as Martinelli.
0: Well, is he in the quarterfinals? Then is that what we're saying? Yeah, he's, he he's in the next round. You, you qualify to race Ollie Watkins. Yeah. Okay. Look, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, but short of just sitting back and doing nothing at home at Bramwell Lane, you know, they, they had to go to it, go for it to a point. But also at the same time, I just thought Villa were, were fantastic. They were brutal. You know, Ollie Watkins with his movement, I think, you know, lots of different people score goals. Ollie Watkins himself could have had a hat trick, but we know that Sheffield United are going down and they'll probably finish bottom. They won't pick up many more points from now to the end of the season. And we know I'm pretty sure that Chris Wilder's already planning for next season. The players there aren't good enough. Paul Hagenbottom was all, always going to struggle uh, this season after what was an incredible season. And sometimes, by getting promoted, it brings you closer to the sacking. That's what's happened to, to Paul Hagenbottom. We know that he weren't allowed to bring in as many players as he wanted. Um, it, it's a tough time at the moment if you're a Sheffield United fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, Aston Villa can do this to you. They've got a brilliant attacking lineup, And with Bailey, with Tielemans, with uh, John McGinn, who's playing very well at this moment in time, Watkins, the speed on the the counter-attack, the high line, they've they've just got a lot of good things going for them. And when it all clicks well, they can dismantle you. And Chelsea need to be aware of that for their Wednesday night game uh, against them at Villa Park, because I tell you what, they uh, can really uh, take uh, Chelsea to the cleaners.
0: After what's happened this weekend... I really worry for that game and I'm I'm hoping somehow Chelsea pull out the most amazing performance because, my goodness me, how brutal Villa were and how poor Chelsea were, it could be another 5-0.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could get absolutely battered at Villa Park on Wednesday night. I mean, listen, I, I hope that doesn't happen because I think that would probably be a misrepresentation of the work that Pochettino has done. He sort of said tonight already, you know, that we're, you know, we're not good enough at the moment. That's the reality. I'm the res- I'm the one responsible for the situation, so it's me first. But we show today that we are not good enough. They've got to go there and show that they are good enough. But how do you stop Aston Villa when they're playing in this sort of form? Because that, that they've got a great chance of getting into the top four here, Kev, haven't they?
2: Yeah, they have. And I think one of the things that we need to focus on is that incredible pass by Douglas Louise with the outside oh. of his boot. And that just underlines what he's capable of. He set up Ollie Watkins with an amazing pass. Not only was Watkins impressive, Douglas Louise impressive, but Leon Bailey is now the Leon Bailey he was always meant to be. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that was, is when he came through in Belgian football, you knew he was talented. You'd seen the tapes. You knew he was quick. You knew he scored some spectacular goals. He came to Germany, and you'd see flashes of it. You'd see him do incredible things. You'd see him zoom past fullbacks. You'd see him curl a ball in from the corner of the area into the top corner and score. And then he goes six, seven games, and he disappears entirely. Uh, I think he may be if he's honest with himself, was thinking of the very biggest clubs in the world at one stage and maybe ran before he could walk. And now I think he's got an outstanding coach in Unai Emery and he's finding that consistency that he's always lacked previously in his career. I think Unai Emery, uh, as you guys know, I'm an enormous fan of his. He's a football obsessive. Tactically, I think he's outstanding. And he's getting the absolute most out of that squad of players. They're talented, but the coach has added value and coaches aren't always able to do that.
1: Uh, Oliver George Arthur Watkins has got 11 goals in 23 matches in the Premier League and 10 assists. He's the first player across Europe's top five leagues to do that in the league. I know that other players have done that in all competitions, but in just the league in which he's playing, in 11 goals and 10 assists, how outstanding is that, Scott? And has he cemented his place as Harry Kane's backup?
0: Well, I've been saying pretty much all season um, after seeing him six weeks into it, that he would be my backup for Harry Kane. Don't get me wrong. It'd be a big blow. And and as good as, say, a Jude Bellingham is, I think Harry Kane, if we were to lose one player, I wouldn't want to lose him. Because to rely on Ollie Watkins uh, to win the Euros, and I believe we can, would be tough on him. But I do think he's that good that he would be next in line. And, and, you know, in terms of how many goals and how many assists he's got, that's not easy to do. You know, normally goal scorers, they score the goals and, you, you know, it's almost three times, four times their assists. Whereas wide players, you know, unless you were Mo Salah, say, you know, your assists are that much higher than the goals. For him to be that consistent with both, I think just goes to show just how good a player he is. And again, I agree with Kev. You know, Emery's got really good talent there. But this is the manager who's come in, got them away from the relegation zone, got them into Europe and got them realistically chasing for the Champions League now. And I think what he's done with him is not, he's not necessarily taken away from those channel runs, but I think he's made Ollie Watkins realise that he doesn't have to do it every single time and stay between the sticks because the ball will come yeah. to you. And, and also, if you're, someone else is in a better position, don't be selfish. Um, you'll get your goals. That's what he's done and he's got his assists. It's an amazing feat so far. Yeah, it's been terrific. Uh, Everton 2,
1: Tottenham Hotspur 2 was a brilliant game. I was at this on Saturday, um, 12.30. Many 12.30s you go to are not full of great atmosphere and, and, and exciting and end-to-end and open because you know everyone's still a little bit lethargic about the fact they've only just got up. But this game sort of bucked that trend. It was a really sort of swashbuckling match where actually despite taking the lead, I thought Everton were probably the better side across the whole of the piece compared to Tottenham, and Tottenham started well, got their goal, and then sort of sat off a little bit and invited the pressure, and and eventually they found a way through Everton. It was from two set pieces, but they deserved their point at least. In this game, Richarlison's on a fantastic run of goal-scoring form. We talked about Ollie Watkins, but this guy, he started to smash goals in left, right and centre. It's uh, something like nine in these last eight Premier League games um, recently for uh, Richarlison. And that's really important, is it? And this is a football team, Kev, that if they could defend a little bit better, would be much higher up the table.
2: Yeah, Richarlison... we always had the quality, right? He always had that, but he's admitted, um, you know, sometimes the pressure can be a bit much. That's I admire him for that. I admire him for how honest he is. And I admire him for the guts and determination he's got because under Antonio Conte, it had obviously gone horribly wrong. He didn't have a coach that particularly believed in him. He had a coach that was quite open about his shortcomings. And he's been built back up and... I always think Richarlison, is best, is an instinctive player. And you look at the number of one-touch finishes he produces mm. at when he's on form. It's really quite remarkable. I thought the way he took his goals was sensational. And it's a lovely option for Tottenham to have. And when Son is back, um, and obviously South Korea are doing very well, so he's still out there. But when he's back, that's going to be a nice problem for Ange Postecoglou to have. And this goes back to the Chelsea thing, just very briefly confidence is so so important you can take a player who looks as though they've never played the game before give them their confidence back and all of that quality and that potential comes back to the fore and richarlison's a wonderful example of that
1: uh yeah uh, big Ange, who's not actually that big in real life um he wasn't happy actually. It was it was it was a bit downbeat after the game. And whenever you lose in the last minute, well, he didn't lose. They just drew. They just dropped points in the last minute. They Didn't lose. Um, whenever you drop points in the last minute, it always hurts just that little bit more. And he was very sort of downbeat, whispering down here, looking at the floor as he was talking to me in the tunnel after the game. Um, however, um, it was the first time. I don't know if you saw this on Match of the Day, Scott. It was the first time I've ever heard Big Ange who told us all that we must accept all the refereeing decisions that uh, are uh, given, um, started to get a little bit knarky with the old referee. He wasn't happy about that. It seems now, he says, that the referees are letting a lot more go. He was talking about Vicario and the pressure that he was under. They conceded a goal from a set piece on Friday night of last week against Manchester City. And since then... I mean, everyone who's played them have been like bees round a honeypot. Sorry, Guillermo, we are coming for you. And he wasn't strong enough again.
0: No, I noticed that. I mean, some, you've got to be careful what you say at times because it will come back to bite you. And while he didn't have a, it wasn't a stinging criticism of, of the referees. It was it, <laughs> just, it, just, it just dropped it in, like, just dropped it in. It of it, absolutely. Look, we know what Everton are about. We know they struggle to score goals. We know that Dominic Calvert-Lewin hadn't scored in, what, 16 games. We know that they're strong on set pieces and what happens? They score two more goals on set pieces and that's 13 in total and set pieces may well keep Everton up. So what do you expect if you go to Goodison Park or even if you play them at home? You expect them to try and get as many set pieces as possible, put the ball underneath the goalkeeper and surround him as much as possible. I've seen seen it happen a lot now this season and I, I just wonder whether goalkeepers they're being asked to almost play like central midfielders at the moment but they're losing their kind of strength in get out the way you know I'm going to come through you I'm going to go come through my own defender if I hurt so, so someone you, I do can- you
1: think they're less strong do you think they're, they're stopping doing body work in the gym and making themselves bulkier and stronger like they were in the past and they're concentrating more on being footballers is that is that what you think has happened
0: I don't necessarily say they're less strong, but I definitely think because of their concentrating more in their feet. And I, I, I saw Dean Henderson did an interview with him and asked him that question. He said, yeah, it's quite strange, isn't it? You know, but first and foremost, I still see myself as trying to save the shot and keep the ball out the net. But because of Pep Guardiola and the way he plays, a lot of managers are following suit as well. They're asking kids, uh, goalkeeper kids, are being asked to play almost like, if not number 10s, and certainly number sixes. And I just think... Almost everybody, even central defenders, are not the tough guys that they used to be. Goalkeepers are not the tough guys they used to be. So if you ha- if you are meeting an Everton who are struggling, who perhaps haven't got that quality to open up a team and open play, they are going to stick the ball underneath the goalkeeper and get as many players around and say, try and deal with that. It's not a foul. It's good play and fair play to Everton. You know, you saw the game. You were there. They deserved the point. Doesn't matter how the goals come.
1: Yeah, they did, and uh, that was a brilliant delivery from James Garner which sliced through the Tottenham Hotspur defence, flicked on by Romero and smuggled in by Branthway just about the, the far post. I spoke to Jared after the game and he said, I did touch it. I did touch it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. It's fine. It's your goal. You celebrate it. He deserves it. He's been fantastic recently and he deserves all the plaudits that are coming his way. Um, and when you play well, you get uh, big rounds of applause and when you don't play well, you get banners. And Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace are getting banners at this moment in time, beaten down at the Amex before, Four goals to one Brighton, unrecognisable from their 4-0 thrashing against Luton I could have told you very early on Saturday they were never going to be as bad as they were in midweek I thought they were definitely going to beat Palace that was the biggest sort of nailed on uh, absolute stonewall banker this weekend um, and they did they were they were superb Palace were poor and their players ended up arguing with fans. Afterward, there were chants of we want Hodgson out. Assistant coach Paddy McCarthy had to pull Anderson and Henderson away from angry travelling fans. Not necessarily scenes that you want to see, but you can understand why Palace feel that they're a club in stasis, Kevin.
2: Yeah, they are in that position where they've generally been good enough to stay up, but they're not pushing on at all. And it's all a bit sad. What would have been nice, and I understand why Roy Hodgson felt that he'd earned the chance to carry on, and I understand that he feels, you know, young enough and active enough to still do it, and that's absolutely fine. That's up to him. I think the club should have said to him in the summer, we have a plan going forward, and this is what we'd like to do. So thanks ever so much for keeping us up. We really appreciate it. But this is the manager we want to bring in, because this was always likely to happen. I don't think Palace will go down, necessarily, but where are they actually going? Uh, And I just think now, with the... uh, We talked about toxicity. There is some toxicity there, no doubt about it. And every time there's a poor decision, or a poor result, or a poor performance, it's just going to be magnified. And I don't see how this is enjoyable for Hodgson in any way, shape, or form. So I understand he doesn't want to walk away. I just think with somebody with the legacy that he has at Palace and the love for Palace he has, I just think it's all a bit sad.
1: Newcastle United 4, Luton Town 4, another invaluable point for Luton, keeping their hopes of survival certainly alive. Uh, but they'll be kicking themselves, I think, Kev, because you don't score four goals away at St James's Park and walk away with nothing, do you? I mean, at some stage, you, you know, you've got to think we've got to shut up shop. This game was just far too open.
2: No, I, I, I think, yes, you're right. Luton will look at it and think we were 4-2 up and we should have won the game. However, I still think that is a terrific result. I think to go there and get a point to go there and score four to go there and play with the variety they played with because you know Luton can be direct we know that they've got great pace up front but when Barkley gets on the ball and drives forward from midfield they play some lovely stuff Uh, Mm. and I think They are starting to really, really impress and have done for a while. And I think they do look equipped to give this a real go and stay up. And if they do, they won't have bludgeoned their way to survival. No. They'll have played their way to survival.
1: Yeah, there was a couple of good goals during that. Yeah. There was a couple of good goals. I think it's terrific. Brilliant.
2: Mm -hmm. Adebayo was great. And there's a real, there is a directness to them, but there's a real purpose about them. Everything they do, you know, there's a real oomph behind it. Uh, And I think Barkley's really come to the fore. Newcastle weren't great, absolutely. You know, uh, Dan Byrne had a nightmare. Um, They they have looked really leggy and really disjointed at times. And all the things they did well last season seem to have just kind of crumbled away. But let's be fair, to an extent, this was always going to happen because they massively overachieved last season. And there was always going to be a reality check. And that's what we're seeing there.
1: Uh, Scott, thank you very much uh, for uh, today. If you could try and resist cupping uh, for the rest of the evening, that would be great. Same with you, Kev. You keep your hands to yourself. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday to preview all of the big action and talk about Chelsea's exit to uh, Aston Villa in the FA Cup, I'm sure. Uh, No, it's going to be much better than that, Scott, isn't it? I'm sure. Uh, TalkSport has all the breaking news whenever it happens, so make sure you tune into that and make sure you download the Premier League All Access podcast and tell all your friends about it.